You're listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, Into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined, as always, by Ryan Shutt and Philip Russell, and we are coming at you live Saturday morning of New Year's Eve, possibly the last podcast in the entire world for 2022. <laughs> yep, that's that's it. You never know. Nothing else. Things could happen. Now, we know there's a group of other white guys somewhere else who's going to have one, like, right at the buzzer. You're right. You're right. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this Saturday? Uh, Philip, I'm guessing, has already gone and run and was productive. Um, (laughs) As the token runner of the podcast, I had to get my run in early. I understand. Ryan, how's your morning been? It's been good, man. I went to one of my favorite breakfast spots for breakfast. I saw Avatar the other night. I had a great dinner last night at Disney. Life's good, man, and I get to hang out with my with my fellas. Avatar is good. I could do a whole podcast about that. Is this the what? Avatar episode? No, because I would get canceled, because apparently you're not allowed to like things anymore, especially when they have blue people in them. <laughs> anyway, um, guys, Saturday morning recording. First of many to come. We feeling good and awake? Absolutely. I showered this morning. You heard me. A Saturday morning shower. Something special is going on. Uh, this is this is the new schedule. If you're joining us, hello. Nice to have you. Scott Lacey already in the comments giving us a what's up, fellas. And we appreciate you. We are going to be taking this new schedule, this new format, Moving forward, I think it's going to be good for a couple reasons. One, I'm hoping it allows us to get more interaction with all you lovely folks that listen already, hopefully find some more who trickle in, but also just give us a little bit more structure and continuity. Um, If you've watched The Suns lately, you realize the value of consistency uh, and uh, what happens when you don't have it. So hopefully if we ourselves can find some consistency and some continuity, good things will happen. Uh, that was a very uh, gentle shot at my 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 team, who's disappointing me this month. But that's fine. They're all in the hospital, basically. Um, but we're happy you're here. And we are going to be doing things just a little different. Uh, typically, we will recap the games between last episode and this episode. This is kind of a funky one. We recorded just Wednesday, so we don't have much to talk about. And if you watched the Wizards game and the Raptors game, you know there's not a lot of exciting things to talk about. But we decided to take the opportunity of New Year's Eve 2022 coming to a close to just recap some of our favorite things in Suns basketball for this year. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But before we do, let's go ahead and talk about the two very exciting games that we were able to watch. And for those who may not have been able to watch, maybe not able to keep up, given that the Suns seem to be playing every other day. We lost to the Wizards 127-102 and then followed that up last night, losing to the Raptors 113-104. The Wizards game, not close. I feel like that scoreline is pretty well representative of what happened last night. A nine-point loss definitely doesn't do the game justice, in my opinion. The wheels fell off a little bit, but... Pretty impressive run to get back in it with a very uh, unlikely group out on the floor, which we can we can touch on a little bit. But guys, what were kind of your first thoughts 
from these two games. Uh, again, we only have two games to ch- talk about, which is pretty rare and kind of nice. Uh, but Philip, I'll kind of throw it over to you first. What st- stood out to you with these two? Focusing more on the Raptors game, it was kind of like the Christmas game where it was a loss, but I wound up feeling pretty good about the Suns and feeling really good about several players as well, which I'll get into more in our highs, lows, and just so you know. But I think there are there are some positives to take away, even though that Raptors game was also an incredibly frustrating game to watch as far as turnovers are concerned. Yeah, I, to, to me, it's it's hard to judge fully where the team is right now just because so many pieces are missing but like philip the washington game yeah was kind of we kind of got washed in that game but i felt pretty good all things considered uh, about the uh i don't know if that was an attempt at a pun but if so i hated it uh, it It was was not actually i it was not that one was innocent normally i would try first we got washed by the wizards and then the raptors wrapped us Mm, nope never mind never mind mind. (laughs) no uh Uh, rewind rewind uh, immediate regret but Actually, right before we went on, uh, Dave King uh, of the Brightside Sports Network shared a tweet uh, that I, I hadn't I had felt this, but um, it kind of put things into context. In the NBA, the Suns are a top five team impacted by uh, player loss to injury, um, which is a lost VORP metric, lost value over replacement player. And in fact, of the top five, we're number one. So we are the most impacted team by injury, and that's not including Jay Crowder obviously sitting out. So there's a lot going on right now. So the fact that we're playing like that Raptors game as well as we did last night with the team that we have currently constructed, I, I feel pretty good. But it's, it's hard to fully judge kind of what we're seeing at the moment. I mean, our valuable listeners who come back week after week heard my just so you know on Wednesday. We're doing great things mm-hmm. with a bedridden roster. Uh, now, but yeah, the stats, I will say I hope back what doesn't help us is the other teams rounding up the top five. We're number one, but second is Philly. Third is Cleveland. Five is Boston. Three teams who are doing really well despite their. Yeah, their they're all uh, in the East. That means we're playing healthy people in the West. That's and that's 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 fair too. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was that was interesting and kind of gives some context to what we're seeing as we talk about these two games that we're we're talking about. Yeah, we've we've got a lot to cover in our in our end of the year recap, so we won't go too deep into the instant reactions. Unless Philip, you've got anything else to add? Um, I was bummed. Wizards game was one after the last Wizards game. I just wanted to see a better showing, but again, the roster is not in a good spot, and that's not a slight at management or coaching. That is when you have four people out who are four of your highest minute getters any normal night. That's going to be tough. And then the game last night, right before we clicked record, I was I mentioned that I was really annoyed by it. And Philip was like, actually, it was, it was an entertaining game. And I, I had to take a step back and be like, you know what? From a from an actual basketball viewer, yes, it was a fun, entertaining game. As a Suns fan viewer, the way it crumbled at the end just left such a bad taste in my mouth that I didn't get to, I guess, focus on the five-man bench unit who picked us up by the bootstraps and were like, no, 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 we're going to stay in this. And it's, it was something to behold. Like it was a crazy moment looking at the five on the floor and being like, how did, how did we get here? And then see the run they go on and then check the plus minus at the end of the game and be very validated with what your eyes saw of like, oh yeah, when our five bench guys went out there together, they played great. 
so there are good, there's good stuff to take away from it. And that is, that's good. And we do need to be reminded of that. Uh, but let's, let's jump in to our highs, lows, and just so you knows in Phoenix Suns basketball. And again, this is a segment we typically use to recap the week. Uh, instead of going deep dive into everything, we use this just to highlight some of the big picture stuff uh, for the week. Uh, also, Scott with the optimism. I like it. Scott's saying, I hope these awful games bring us together instead of tearing us apart. If that uh, is a sentiment that the team has, that would be wonderful. I know Suns Twitter can't handle that themselves, but hopefully the team and the players can. I'm all about the optimism going into the new year. Uh, Ryan, you mind hit me with your high in Phoenix Suns basketball for this very, very abbreviated week? Yeah, for, for me, it was it was the back-to-back performances from Chris Paul. I thought this was the best we've seen Chris Paul play uh, really since before his injury. Um, since, he, since he missed, what was it, I think 14, 15 games with that mysterious heel injury. Um, Stupid heel. That we had lots of uh, thoughts about. Um, I, I thought he put together two pretty nice back-to-back games. Um, he, he was scoring well. He was facilitating well. Philip mentioned we had quite a few turnovers last night, which was kind of a bummer. Um, but all things considered, it, it was nice to see him performing at, at a level that, in my opinion, we haven't seen him perform at. Um, he, he dropped 20-plus um, points both nights, had several assists both games, um, and, and seemed at least to be functioning at a level pre-injury. And I was, I was grateful to see that because his, so far since his return, he hasn't, in my opinion, again, look terrific. Uh, he, he's been on the weaker side, even some nights. So I uh, was glad to see him playing well. Again, some of that's out of necessity. When you have so many pieces missing, he's probably bearing a, a bit of a greater load than he's wanted to take this season so far. Um, but all things considered, I was, I was pleased with that. And right. I think, I think oh, with Chris Paul, he's, he needs to simplify his approach to the game a little yeah, bit. That's... He, he does such a good job when the team is fully healthy that when he when he gets a screen from DA and he gets into the mid range, he's open a lot and he'll pass and he'll pass when people are taking a step towards him off of a Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges. He's just got to shoot. Now he has to shoot the ball in the mid range when he's open. And weirdly enough, I think that will actually be less wear and tear. If he simplifies it to say, if I get to the elbow and I'm open, I'm pulling every time. No questions asked. So you guys both literally just hit part one and two of my highs and my joke high, just in case everything was taken, which it was, was Jay Crowder didn't miss a shot this week, uh, but we will, <laughs> we will continue to focus on Chris Paul here. Uh, yeah, I, I had two things. One, I think we've all discussed before since the injury return, he's just looked off and there were two things I liked. Number one, just his shooting in terms of just general make or miss which was, to Ryan's point, he was 8 of 15 against Washington, 6 of 12 against the Raptors. It was 3 of 6 from 3 both games. My favorite part of those stats are the three-point attempts. Like, that is him saying, I'm going to take what's given to me. And, Philip, I I had that same exact thought as I was kind of reading and doom-scrolling Twitter to some extent of the uh, my New Year's resolution is that Chris Paul goes back to 36 or, like, whatever, you know. I'm hoping he can take the positives of his game that can go well into the later years, which he's definitely in at this point and utilize them. Cause the thing is we've talked about, we've talked about one huge thing for him. And I know we talked about in the fan table article, Philip about uh, Chris and kind of where he's going is 
the way he runs the offense is so valuable. But when the rest of the offense isn't there, things change. And so you have to adapt. And if you're looking at things that he can do at a later age to prevent himself from getting banged up, shooting more threes has to be on the table. Like, take the open shot, add that to your game more. Because I think the reason he didn't take him is because he had so many other things on his checklist of, like, to-dos, basically. Like, first quarter, Chris, typically getting everyone involved, getting everyone in rhythm, making sure every mouth is fed, and then later taking over if needed. I think he's got to be willing to fill the responsibilities that are being left before him. And again, we're talking about a game where our three highest three-point attempt shooters, Book, Landry, and Cam Johnson, are all off the court. Someone's got to do it, and I'd much rather it be him than Josh Okogie. No offense to Josh Okogie. But it's silly to be like, man, if Jock, if Jock's three starts hitting, like, no, let's let's let guys shoot who have a higher percentage of it going in, even if that does disrupt the normal flow to some extent. So I love that he was shooting the ball more in general. Uh, and, and I agree. If the mid range game is there. Great. That is valuable. You can use it later and maybe you'll have more energy to do it if you haven't been doing it for a full 48 or so. So. Anywhere that's my high, just kind of piggybacking on Ryan and ranting a little bit. Philip, I know you touched on Chris Paul. Did you have a separate high other than uh, what Chris is doing? Yeah, I thought DA made some really good passes last night that are absolutely necessary for uh, the Suns moving into an entire month without Devin Booker. You can imagine that DA should, and we've seen it the last couple of games, he should get a heavier workload on the offensive end. You see the Suns clearing out the left side of the court a lot for him or a pick and roll with an empty corner with D.A. and Chris Paul or D.A. and Mikhail. So he's going to have the ball a lot more in his hands. And those three assists that he had to Torrey Craig, a couple of them were really nice. So he had one in the first quarter where he started making his move and he got doubled on his spin move. And it was kind of an easy pass over the top down to Torrey. So that was fine. But with about three and a half minutes left in the first, he posted on an island on the left side of the court and the weak side defenders ball watched. And when they ball watched, Torrey made a cut and DA made a one hand little kind of skip bounce pass right to Torrey Craig for a little kind of floating um, shot. I think it might have been an and one. And then he basically did the same thing with about seven minutes left in the third quarters. It was a little bit of a broken play. Mikhail was kind of stumbling, got the ball to DA. Torrey cut from the three-point line, and DA split two defenders with another really good bounce pass. Assuming, assuming DA keeps this role where he's just going to have the ball more and his hands and his usage rate is going to go up, he needs to seed the floor a little bit better than he has earlier this season. And I'm hoping that started in Toronto. So Scott put in the comments that I hope these awful games bring us together instead of tearing us apart. The way that can happen and the way you can take frustrating turnover laden games and actually find bright spots is looking at things like DA's passing, DA's recognition of when a double is coming, even when he's in the midst of making a move. And I was really happy to see that last night. Yeah. Uh, I think DA's passing has been a, bright spot for my year so far um 
I think there's a lot of things that we've seen or asked for that we've seen glimpses of, and then they've kind of gone down. I remember Ryan's uh, historic free throw argument for the big fella uh, that was immediately followed by free throws, we assume, because of Ryan's speech. Uh, but even that- <laughs> I has, did it. Has, You're welcome. That's, pe- I mean, that's petered out now, back down to a little over, I think, 2.8 free throws a game in the last month. So it's good to see that the passing seems to be sticking around. Um, turnovers moving a bit with that, but I'm okay with that because you can tell he's trying to be more a part of the offense and not just the end point of where the ball ends up, which I think is going to open stuff up for everyone else as well. And if he starts making passes as doubles come over or even when the double is already there, that's when his playmaking will have taken a step, which is why that first assist stood out so much, even though it's not a particularly complicated pass. Like he made the play with the double team right on him. And I think that's what we're going to see a little bit more of. And that's what he faced. And that's what he struggled with on Christmas against the Nuggets when they ran two and sometimes three defenders at him. When the Raptors did it last night, he was a little bit better. And that's hopefully what we can see moving forward. Let's go ahead, hop on our lows. And I'm going to hit on one that's already been touched on a couple. It's hard to not touch on things when there's only two games, no matter what's being discussed. Uh, The Suns assist to turnovers against Toronto uh, made me want to vomit. 26 assists to 25 turnovers. And if you take out Chris Paul, it's 14 assists to 19 turnovers. Uh, Chris went 12 and six. Uh, you can, if you want to play a uh, box score detective, you can pin it on someone like, well, Damian Lee had zero assists, five turnovers. I don't care. That dude was a part of the five guys that actually seemed to want to win at some point. So I'll give him a pass. But overall, that's abysmal. Like that is, that is rough. We literally talked uh, on Wednesday about how the fact that the Suns are still doing so well in the assisted turnover category league wide, uh, especially within the conference specifically, has been phenomenal, which is nuts when you have a new quarterback in one night, two new receivers. They don't know who's communicating with who, yet it's still working well. And we we gave Monty some flowers for that. It was It was a reminder, I think, the Toronto game of that's not normal. This, this unfortunately, is something that you should expect to see when you're missing the equivalent of four starters at times. But boy, it's brutal. And I think the reason I hated it so much is because while watching the game, I could tell it was happening. The announcers knew it was happening. You kept hearing the stupid costly turnovers and not typical decisions. And you're like, yeah, I, we see it. It's awful. And then you lose a game at the very end that you work so hard to reclaim a lead. And you just look back, you're like, well, yeah, we just gave it to them. Like that's, that's a game where you can just say, keep possession one or two extra times. And maybe that momentum shift doesn't happen. And we even should have had more. Uh, I was, I couldn't remember Ryan, if you were in or not, when we were talking about it, even late in the game, DA grabs a defensive rebound. We try to fast break. And it's just like, we're not on the same page. We throw it. They should have picked it off. But I think it was Gary Trent who tipped it into the first row. And you're like, that should have been another one. Like it felt like the bench unit did so much to get us back in. We subbed the starters back in to close it, which I will never question that. That makes total sense. That was not bad coaching. Those also, those guys had had a very long run out there. It just is frustrating when you give it away because of, your own stupidity. Like, I don't think Toronto's defense 
caused that stat to the extent that it shows. So that was my low. It was frustrating. I can also just say the Wizards game as a whole was very frustrating. Wasting a good DA game, always annoying. Uh, but more more on that one in just a moment. Uh, Philip, what you got for your low for this half week? It's something that's actually very low, and it's the margin of error that this team is facing. It's really hard to deal with as, as a team. Uh, so the Wizards game, you don't have the luxury of a cold start like the Suns have. You definitely don't have the luxury of shooting 25% in the fourth quarter of a close game against Toronto. You don't have the luxury of all those turnovers because what winds up happening is you're shooting yourself in the foot when otherwise you played a really good game. The Suns were one additional made free throw and one additional made uh, field goal from a 50-40-90 game as a team. So they shot 49% from the field, 47% from three, and 87% from the line as a team, and lost. The Phoenix Suns, the 2022-2023 Phoenix Suns, won the combined three-point and free-throw battle, which is... do that. (laughs) And still lost the game because of the turnovers. And this isn't a harp on the turnovers, but it's just to exemplify that this team does not have any margin for error. And if you want to think about it in terms of individual players and the roles individual players are going to play over the next month, think of a guy like Dwayne Washington. Every single night, every single night, his offense has to be good enough and sometimes even great enough at moments to offset his, we'll say, lackluster defense. Dwayne's going to get cooked on the defensive end. So what the Suns have to have from him with all of these other starters and helpful role players out is his offense has to be spark pluggy enough, if you will, to be better than what he's giving up on the defensive end. And again, that margin for error is so thin. And that's what we're going to be dealing with as Suns fans for the next month, at least. That sucks. That sucks. (laughs) That really does suck. When I saw the four-week reevaluation, I just said, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, can can I give him my groin? I don't... (laughs) Phrasing. No, I mean, it's fine. Like, if that would somehow help the healing process, I I would give my groin... That's very sweet of you. I, I don't think it would help. We're similar builds, similar athleticisms. I assume I could absolutely help him in this situation, and we could get the guys back quicker. Uh, I don't have any more good meniscuses for Cam Johnson, unfortunately, so one of you guys will have to be willing to do that one. Mine are pretty much toast. Well, again, as as the runner of the podcast, he that can take sense. my healthy menisci. No, I like that. I like that. Uh, Ryan... Low, low for this week. Uh, mine is 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 just it, the rough December. These two losses brought our December record to five and eleven, which bookends in a really awful way. This how great a start the calendar year was. Do you remember what we did in January? We went eleven and one, and Monty was Western Conference Coach of the Month. Eleven and one January to start twenty twenty two, and a five and eleven December to close out the year. So it's just kind of a a rough swing here at the end. Dave King on on Twitter mentioned this was the first eleven uh, eleven. You are 
plugging. No, I was just on Twitter King before we Daddy hopped on like this morning. He, he was he was he was on one this morning, and I appreciate that. But it's the Love first it. eleven uh, lost months since the nineteen win season, uh, and that was kind of a tough pill to swallow. But again, it's it's all about context. It's all about um, what's revolving around the team injuries. Jay being out. Yeah, uh, so, but still, so, when so you consider, so, yeah, so when so you sucks. consider that January started eleven and one, and we're ending five and eleven in December, uh, we've just it, it's been a it's been a roller coaster year for the old Suns. Yep, I agree. Philip, you got some just so you knows for the folks listening. Suns fans, you got to start talking better about Josh Okogi. He's the guard version of Dario Saric on the offensive end. He has one move. It's a slow euro step. It's getting stuffed every time now, and he's not the answer to any of the Suns' problems. <laughs> like every time I hop on Twitter, <laughs> Ethan's dying over there. I've never had to mute before. <laughs> look, look. He's... After my Landry rant Wednesday, I was not going to attack Dario Okogi. No, I was not going to attack Suns Twitter's. Lord and Savior. So I, I mean, if you I want to wrote, take your shots, I wrote it. in my notes every time Dario Saric pump fakes twice, or Josh Okogi <laughs> does his slow Kyle Anderson but slower Euro step, an angel falls from heaven, which there might not be any left after this season. <laughs> so it's like Josh has a role to play on the team, and he's playing pretty well. <laughs> But stop talking about him like he's the answer to the Suns' problems at the backup guard. Like, he's not a playmaker. He's not a facilitator. On the offensive end, he's going to be okay. And it's like the flip version of Dwayne. Josh's defense is what's going to make up for him being a lackluster offensive player. He's he's not good offensively. Talk about him better see things more clearly when it comes to Josh Okogie. That is, so that was, and again, we don't, if you would like to hear a rant about Landry Shamit, feel free to go listen to an episode from a couple days ago. That is what was cracking me up when people are like, those 18 Landry minutes, if they go to Okogie, man, difference maker, false. We would have less points and maybe stop a couple more, but typically offenses score more because offense is good in NBA. No, that's not how it works. And so, I, I, yeah, I don't. The dude, and here's the thing. The one game he, quote, went off offensively and showed what his potential was. We were down, what, 30? It was a massacre. And they're like, eh, go, go shoot your shot, youngin. You're, tw- what, 22, 24? That was not him showing what he's capable of against starters, with starters, in the run of play in a competitive ball game. Yes, if you put Josh Kogi at the Y, he'll drop 70 on you. That's fair. <laughs> if you put him in a game that's been decided since the end of the first quarter, shots might be a little easier to make. But yeah, I that was beautiful. Thank you, Philip. All right, I no problem. Let something. me let me punctuate it again. We like Josh. We've been impressed with some of his improvement. He's clearly improved on the offensive end. At the beginning of the season, I watched all of his three-point attempts from last year. All of them. And I said, on this podcast, I said he's better than his percentages show. And that's borne out this season. But he's not the answer for the Suns offensively at all. Boy, that was wonderful. Do we need another just so you know? I feel like that one is... uh... Ryan, Ryan, do you have something that we need to know? 
No, mine was just optimistically, if we're looking at the calendar, we should be hopefully just a couple weeks from getting Cam Johnson back. Um, based off of the original timeline of, of his injury and what the estimated outage was going to be, um, we hopefully should be on the tail end of that. And hope, you know, again, we haven't gotten any reports on his recovery or what that has looked like. Uh, but theoretically, we should just be, you know, just a couple weeks out from hopefully getting Cam Johnson back. And as the new year approaches, that fresh, fresh new start from him uh, could be well received. And I, I hope I hope that's the case. Not to put any added pressure on a guy who's not listening to our podcast. Still a contract year. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad he's taking his time coming back. I think that has shown wisdom on many accounts. But you know that in the back of his head, he's like, this is... He's playing for the bag. I'm playing for probably my one sizable bag in my career. Not to shortchange his longevity. But yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Mike, just so you know, and this isn't... This isn't a negative... Mm-hmm. It is. It's not a strong critique. It's more of a I'm intrigued. So my just so you know, in the months of October and November, DeAndre Ayton only had two games in which he scored single digits. Now, if you guys are nerds and you go look, you're like, I see a third game. He got hurt. Doesn't count. Get off me. (laughs) Two real games, single digit scoring. In the month of December alone, he has had four of them, including two separate two of ten shooting nights. Now. To his credit, within the month of December, he's also had scoring nights of 31, 30, 28, 25, and 25. We have preached a desire for consistency with the whole team, not just him, whole team. It is stunning to see him put up a 2 of 10 night. That's really hard to do. To do it twice in two weeks, I'm like, well, this is funky. I don't know what's happening. Now, here's where I want to ask a question before we, we hop into the end of the year talks. I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, well, it's harder for him to score when people are hurt. Like they're not pulling him away. The, his creators are gone, whatever, whatever. But I also see centers who are very skilled on other teams who might be playing with not so great players all the time or have people around. They still put up buckets and shoot slightly better so what what are our thoughts do we think that Aiton's usage like Philip has mentioned in these games without a book and others should see an increased offensive workload and hopefully points and my follow-up is on his two of 10 nights it's not like you're shooting 12 footers three pointers you're like ah you just don't you know contested shots whatever he it's weird watching him miss the shots that we've grown accustomed to him making And part of me is the old, my dad telling me when I was in fourth grade of, if you're missing your threes, go hit a couple layups, (laughs) go get closer to the rim. And part of me is like, go. Is Eddie Johnson your dad? No, no. My dad is much smarter when it comes to basketball. Is that Um, why you're growing out your mustache? Did I I say that out loud? I will say they both have very crotchety old man takes. (laughs) Eddie is a much more knowledgeable basketball man and can probably put 85 on me in a quarter. Wait, are you saying that, that our dad. father, who played middle school basketball, had a higher basketball knowledge of... I corrected myself. I just, EJ, I just EJ wanted gets... to make sure that's the take you had. Listen. Granted, been... dad was good in middle school, I'm Look, sure. There have been <laughs> some egregious things from the, the booth this year, including someone, and I'm not going to name names because I, I don't, I don't want to be mean, called DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges the twins. And that made me vomit in my mouth. 
Don't you ever do that again if you're listening. You're not. Cam Johnson erasure not allowed here. Anyway, just so you know, DeAndre Ayton, bad shooting, but then good shooting. Other players are gone. Is it is it insane for me to be like DeAndre needs to be scoring 15 a night con- consistently? DA's allowed to have bad nights. Sun's Twitter doesn't think so, but he's allowed to have bad nights. And I think for any big man, it's going to look worse when they have a bad shooting night than it is for a guard. Because if a guard misses a couple open threes, you go, yeah, people shoot like the good shooters shoot like 40% from three. So they miss a couple open ones. Like that's okay. DA misses a couple five foot sky hooks or jumping turnarounds in a row. It just looks worse because he's closer to the basket. But again, Ethan, this is mine and yours thing for Suns fans in the New Year's. Settle down. He's allowed to have a bad game. Two of 10 is just kind of funny. It happened twice in two weeks. Yeah. Also, big big men, typically, if they're not getting their shot to go around the rim, do you know what they do? Shoot threes. Nope. Uh-huh. They attack the rim and get some free throws. Anyway, we move on. Um, what? Is that not true? That's how Joel Embiid puts up 20 every night. Shoot 16 free throws a game. Don't. Don't compare DA to Joel Embiid. They're the same person. Are you kidding me? Look at their physique. So we've talked about how Ethan and I are, um, we're writing for Bright Side every week, writing, kind of. We do like- We're um, answering questions. Yeah, we're answering questions from our guy Rod every week. Somebody tried to chastise me because I implied that DA is not a star. Here's the deal. He's not. He's not. He's not a star. Mikhail Bridges, not a star player. Cam Johnson, not a star player. We have one star player on our team. Chris Paul, not a star player anymore. So it's like there are tiers to this. And what Suns fans need to do is tamper their expectations a little bit. The person you hold to the highest standards and compared to the best players in the league, the only one of those guys on the Suns roster, and he's going to be out for about four weeks. Damian Lee's hurt? What happened? <laughs> no, I I agree. I agree. Uh, Scott said he's not a star. He should be a star. Boy, I, I sure Maybe. wish he I sure wish he was. Um, luckily, there was no one else in that draft who's reached any sort of heights that would leave me upset. Uh, anyway, let's... It's, it's the first Saturday. Ethan, yeah, not even Happy New Year. This is just Ethan's Festivus a week <laughs> let's, late. Let's go ahead. The I grievances. actually... My actually, my favorite answer so far to any of those uh, bright side fan tables was something like, "It was on the five game losing streak." They're like, "People are starting to have rumblings about tanking for Wemby." What are your thoughts? And I said something to the extent of, "Oh, I hate the idea of tanking and getting a number one overall pick, and then having to look at an international superstar and saying, I don't know. I think I'd rather go with the guy at Arizona." <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry, Suns fans. Love you all very much. Um, let's talk about the thing I'm most excited about. Ethan, about you're today. driving Scott Lacey to a to a bad place, so you might want to lay off the gas. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't put that comment on the screen. What can I say? <laughs> uh, what we wanted to do, especially to end this year on some some positives, uh, overlook the last two games. Bye, and uh, we, as we wait for Philip to rejoin, I can still explain it to all of our lovely listeners and watchers. We have done our best to go through 
and look at 2022 as a whole. And I will say it's a little funky because it's parts of two different basketball seasons, but look at 2022 and pull some of our favorite sun specific moments. Uh, not going to, not going to go too long with this, but wanted to just do a good job of recapping a overall good year in Suns basketball. In my opinion, I know some folks may differ. It's been a good season. A lot of good stuff. A lot of funny stuff has happened. And we just wanted to maybe bring some of that back to mind. Sometimes as we look at a team that is completely hurt and losing games to the Wizards, it's hard to remember a lot of good stuff in this calendar year. So that is our goal. Let's go ahead and start with favorite Suns game of 2022. And as the person who put this prompt together... I will go ahead and go last as to give you all the best chance of not having yours taken. Uh, I I will do that because it would be unfair for me to get mine out first and then watch you guys scramble. Favorite game of 2022. Ryan, I'm going to let you take this one first, my guy. I have a feeling I might steal one, so I apologize if I do. But mine, and we've probably talked about this singular game more than any other individual game. Uh, It's the Cam Johnson Knicks game. Uh, that game was just a blast. So back in March, Cam Johnson uh, off the bench went absolutely ballistic, going 11 of 16 from the field, 9 of 12 from three, dropping 38 points off the bench and hitting the game winner. Uh, that, to me, was just such a fun game, such a fun ending. Cam having the night that he had finally to 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 win it himself on that three-pointer was, was massive. It also showed what Cam's ceiling could look like as a shooter, uh, that that to me is the game as I look at 2022 as a whole that I keep going back to was was that night. There was just something special about that night and to do it in the garden was was super cool. Uh, I just that that is that is my favorite game of, of the calendar year. Uh, that game will be brought up later. Philip, your favorite Uh-oh. Suns game of 2022. You're going to you're going to see a pattern in my answers to these. Game six of the New Orleans series. You're going to hear more about that one later too. (laughs) Same. You're going to hear a lot about that one from me. Because I think it's one of the funniest games in the entire entire calendar year in all of the NBA. It is hilarious. Yeah, that game is, that game's nuts. I had a really good, I had a fun time re-watching videos on that game to get some stats for a later one. Uh, we have three different games on this category, guys, and I'm pretty pumped. Nice. Also, Scott with the Cam Johnson injury nonsense again. <laughs> saying it was also the injury game, which it was. It's accurate. But you know what? This is a 2022 positive recap, and we will move forward accordingly. <laughs> uh, my favorite game of 2022, and I'm going to be honest, I hedged my bets a little bit here. I tried to think of like, you know, when you're playing Family Feud, you know the top two answers on the board. Sometimes you got to be like pretty strategic. I went with the season opener this year, the season opener, lots of question marks playing against the Mavericks. We didn't quite know what to expect. Look, it was an insane game that I think has been forgotten because of everything else that has happened. But again, Mavericks at Suns opening the season, following the series we do not discuss during this segment because it's positive vibes only 
October 20th, 2022, Suns come back from down 22, including being down 12 with six minutes to go, ending with the Damian Lee, my foot may have shuffled a little bit shot with four seconds left. What a phenomenal way to start the season, erase some bad vibes from last year, and just kind of also introduce the Suns fans to some of our new big contributors, Damian Lee being the guy. So I thought that was a really fun game. I know it doesn't hold the weight of a playoff victory, and I definitely thought about going that direction too. But if you're talking about like the full fan experience, I don't remember if either of you guys were with me. I know Brooke watched in quotes. She sat next to me, and I love her for that. During that game, I was like, want to pull my hair out, just quit watching at multiple points. And the fact that I ended jumping up and down, screaming, that was a great game. So favorite game of 2022, three good options. Philip, favorite Suns play of 2022. So it was Chris Paul's 13th straight make against New Orleans in game six. So this was, if you if you really remember that game, you know that this is when it just went absurd for Chris Paul. He, I think it was 99 to 100 or 98 to 99, but the Suns were down by one and they were just spamming a pick and roll with CP and DA over and over and over again. And CP was trying to snake to get a good mid-range off. And CP took this like leaning, running step back to his right floater that hit the rim about five times and dropped in. And it gave the Suns the lead. And it's in basketball sometimes, it feels like guys can't miss. And that's when you were like, okay. Like something, something unnatural is happening right now with this run that Chris Paul is on. More to come on that game later. Ryan, favorite play of 2022. My favorite game from the same series favorite, is Landry, Landry favorite, favorite play? Yeah. Oh, I, you said favorite game, and I was like... Oh, oh sorry, did, my favorite play from, is from that, that same, is from that okay. same series. Uh, I believe it was game three, where early in the first quarter, Landry Shamit catches an outlet pass on a fast break and absolutely bodies at 6'4", bodies the 6'11", Jackson Hayes, which was a nasty dunk to begin with, but it ends up leading to Hayes getting ejected because he gets a technical in the aftermath of the dunk, and not two minutes later, he pushes Jay Crowder and gets thrown out of the game. So that, to me, because it was hilarious how it all played out, it was game-changing because it swung some momentum our way in a big way. And man, Shamit bodied Hayes at 6'11", which was just so impressive. Shamit, Shamit showing the world that he has bunnies was a wonderful, like, secret gift that I did not know we would be receiving. And if you haven't time. watched that dunk recently, please go to YouTube because you don't realize just how hard he dunks it until you go back and watch it. It is so fun. So that is my favorite play of the year. He... Yeah, he's had some good ones. Uh, I will I will take us back. This is technically, uh, if I were ranking, probably two years in a row where my favorite play of the year belongs to Cam Johnson. The buzzer beater against the Knicks was just phenomenal. And not just that he hit a shot, it was also the way of which it was the quick inbound. 
outlet to campaign. Cam gets to the three, turns around, almost like Scoop passes it backwards to a sprinting Cam Johnson. I mean, against a team at an arena, like where everything was at its height of intensity, you already have Randall getting the tech in possible ejection. Can't remember after that foul against Cam, all the pushing and shoving for him to be hurt, continue on with that performance and then hit that shot. That was the play of the year that is stuck in my mind. Did have some honorable mentions. DA had a, a monster dunk in the playoffs as well early on that kind of gets forgotten because of uh, how those playoffs ended. We also have books shot in the corner over two players. It ends with dapping up the baby. We're rumors still out if the baby is the reason we got cursed or we're given some sort of uh, sickness that can be passed around by the baby people that the sons maybe or did not have maybe who knows. Uh, there were a lot of good ones and the playoffs had a lot. The, the playoffs, which I know gets remembered in a bad light did have some really big plays and it was a very exciting playoffs with the Pelican series with some time removed being a, a big part of that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do my favorite performance first. Cause it's already been touched on uh, Chris Paul going 14 of 14 from the field in game six against the Pelicans finishing with 33 points, eight assists, five rebounds. Like goodness gracious closeout game against your old city. The FJ Crowder nonsense ejections already like that series had Western Conference finals feel in a first round series. That was just insane. A superstar kind of taking that next step in Brandon Ingram. A lot of stuff happening in a very short amount of time that ended with Chris Paul just saying, I think we're going to go ahead and win this one now and not missing at all. Like. That's nuts to me. And there were some other great performances that I have under my honorable mentions. I'm going to let you guys go first as to not uh, potentially steal those. But there were some other other big ones as well. Uh, Ryan, who'd you have here? Uh, so I have an honorable mention for this one. And this actually doesn't come from one of the Suns players, but from the Suns community. Uh, there was a poll taken in February on Valentine's Day uh, that basically asked, if you were to shoot 103 pointers, how many would you make? And uh Cody Hunt on Twitter said, if I'm in a church gym by myself, I hit 60 uh, and then proceeded to post uh, video footage of him just not missing uh, at co underscore D Hunt. If you haven't seen the clip, it's great. Uh, that is my honorable mention from the Suns fan base's best performance because he really did go lights out. Uh, but my actual Suns best performance was Booker just a couple weeks ago, the 58 point game where the Suns are down 83 59 with seven minutes left in the third quarter. Uh, and, and Booker just has not the game of his life, obviously, because he dropped 70, but just about shooting 21 of 35 from the field, six rebounds, five assists. The dude carried that team to a win. Uh, and it just showed how good Devin Booker is. I'm a hop in on this. I, no offense to 70 pointer. I think this was the game of his life. And maybe it was. This was, the, this was the most points in a win in his career. That's and that's fair. Every, yeah, every other just... game where he has put these mass performances, uh, they didn't get the result. This one was we're down 24. I'm gonna go super yeah. saiyan and get the win. I, I view that as the best booker performance. And it, to me, it that was phenomenal. it was just stunning and it felt and and I know he doesn't necessarily like this comparison, it felt like watching Prime Kobe. 
It just did. There was something about it where you were just like this. What we're watching is special. He was scoring from literally everywhere. And, and, and defenders it was so were just, fun. Yes. So that's that my favorite individual performance. That game was awesome. Philip, favorite performance for the Suns in 2022? Game five in the New Orleans series. McHill went for 31 on 12 of 17 from the field. He also had four blocks that game, which is pretty nutty based on the guys he was guarding. And it led to the Suns winning that game and then closing it out in game six. Uh, Philip, do you mind taking your headphones out for just a second? Oh, no. Okay. Uh, I have one Poor other honor, honorable mention. Rip uh, I'll, whisp- I'll whisper it just in case you kept the speakers on. Devin Booker's 51 points in three quarters against the Bulls earlier. <laughs> oh, 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 boy. Uh, Philip, you're good, bud. You can, you, can, you, can, you can put the headphones back in. I'm sorry, buddy. You have to look. 51 and three quarters. At th- that was insane. The dude was... I also, every time the Suns play the Wizards, I have to watch Daniel Gafford play, who we gave up for Troy Brown and Mo Wagner, who we then proceeded to get rid of very quickly. Every time I watch Daniel Gafford play, I'm like, yeah, the Bulls could have had him on a nothing contract, and we had him on a nothing contract, but instead I get to watch like Andre Drummond or whoever our backup five is behind our backup five, who's actually a starter, Nikola Vucevic, but keep going. Oh, boy. All right. Well, now we open it up. When putting this together, it was hard not to also think of some of our favorite moments from the NBA year as a whole. Again, a little bit of two different seasons here. But wanted to just – we'll just go around pretty quick on this one. I don't know how many you guys put together. I've got me a small list. Uh, My favorite NBA moment of 2022, I'm going to go ahead and start it off with Nets-Celtics Game 1 of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Tatum's spinning buzzer beater layup – off a beautiful Marcus Smart pass against Kyrie and the Nets. That was amazing. That was a beautiful start to some great playoffs basketball. That one being a sweep was pretty hilarious as well. And was a part of the, I guess, instigating of the conversation of where's Kevin Durant going, which kept Suns fans pretty entertained for an entire summer, even though it led to absolutely nothing, except for Jake Crowder somehow not playing either. Anyway. That's one of my favorite NBA moments. Uh, Philip, what's one of yours? Oh, baby. Game four in the NBA Finals was a sight to behold. Steph Curry goes for 43 and 10, the 10 being rebounds on 14 of 26 from the field and 7 of 14 from three. From the jump, Steph was on another level that game, and he brought an energy that matched and outdid the Boston crowd, just willed his team back to a 2-2 series tie. And then they put the nail in the coffin in games five and six. The three-pointers he hit in game four are some unspeakably difficult shots, just all over Derek White, all over Al Horford, all over Jason Tatum. The dude is a marvel. Yeah, uh, give Scott some love after we've... uh pooped on his lack of optimism he did say game one and two of the playoffs against the Mavs and all the Luka memes I love that we can focus on games one and two uh similar to the NBA finals where we also focused on games one and two and pretend the rest didn't happen uh I also real quick I I know I've got a few I had the Warriors finals run in general on my list 
given the dominance they had and all the massive question marks they had of is it is it over after the injuries after clay after kevin leaving that was cool just as a basketball fan to watch and my favorite play was uh on may 22nd in the series against the mavericks when andrew wiggins dunked luca into the depths of sheol and then looked over Biblical. and it felt it felt like every suns fan who was going through their own grieving stage was able to look up and rejoice in one small good thing. It was like, thank you for doing what we could not. And that was great. You also had the night night was like, it was a fun, fun finals run with a great finals in general. And as an NBA fan, that's all you can ask for. And Ethan, I know you and I agree on this. It also kept the Suns from having to get mollywopped by the Warriors, which we think the... Ethan and I think the Suns would have gotten demolished by the Warriors in the uh, Western Conference Finals. Especially if any of the illness stuff is real. If there were any lingering effects after watching what the Warriors did and how they dissected a defense that we could not, I think there was very much a sweep (laughs) on the table. And people, I'd rather people just keep hating Luka and the Mavs and dealing with that because I don't know how we as a fan base would have handled that. Uh, a sweep in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, Ryan, what you got for us? Uh, favorite moment is is the finals. I thought that was great. I went a little off script with this one because I do think there was a lot that happened within the NBA as well that is notable. Oh, you, going big, you going big picture? Uh, I am. That is my brand. Hey. Uh, but it was actually a really rough year for the NBA in a lot of ways. You had oh. Draymond Sucker punching pool. You had um, Miles Bridges potentially ruining his career with domestic abuse. You had Josh Primo from the Spurs. You had Robert Sarver in that investigation. You had Ime Udoka. You had so many, like Kyrie, the anti-Semite out of nowhere. I feel like Draymond just caught a bit of a stray being lumped in with this. But anyway. It wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good look. I'm just saying there was a lot that took place in the NBA this year that was was not great. And, And it was... There was a lot of cool things that happened, but it's important to note the punch was a highlight. Scott Lacey, that's uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, get things interesting, but, but here's like, it was, it was all around 2022 was not a great year overall for the NBA for a lot of reasons. Um, There were some great things that happened, but there was a lot of heavy stuff that the league dealt with too. So hopefully 2023 will be a much better, uh, much more positive, much safer year for both, the staffs of teams players uh and we can grow as a league and be better than than this year showed all right i'm taking over real quick i disagree with i have i have what do i can i share the rest of my nba moments oh oh, yeah you didn't get yours i'm sorry i forgot you had like eight real quick i love the nba uh suns fans close your ears lucas 60 20 10 and a miracle comeback was one of the craziest things and there's the celebration a celebration dance. There's a great chance that this will be remembered similarly to a Reggie Miller esque for that generation of just one man's incredible performance. When time seemed to not allow it insanity ending with, I need a recovery beer, <laughs> hate the guy all you want. I will continue to find him entertaining and very good at basketball. Uh, Brian Windhorse's meme of something's going on in Utah. What is it? What's Something, something's happening. That one is an all-timer. Uh, Jay Crowder's mixtape. I will never forget <laughs> that. The Jay Crowder mixtape will live with me forever as one of the funniest internet things ever. Um, I will bring that up for years to come, even as he has moved on. And then finally, LeBron still LeBroning. The dude Happy just birthday, LeBron. turned 38. 
I think like goodness gracious, it is cool to say that we at our age have watched the entire LeBron career. Don't know how it's going to end, but it is remarkable to see what that guy is still doing. I know a lot of folks uh, don't love him because they don't like good basketball players who don't play for the Suns. I totally get it. But man, watching him do what he's doing at this point in his career is phenomenal. Never would have thought that I'd still be seeing that going into 2023. So I'm going to enjoy every bit of it. And like LeBron James is more than an athlete, we are more than NBA podcasters. And this inspiration to give credit where credit is due is coming from the answer on the NBA ringer, the ringer NBA show. So that Sirit Sohi and J Kyle Mann, they did a whole segment where they went over the best things they watched, they read, and they ate this year. I read books this year. I yeah, just wanted, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to pick one of those, either best thing you watched, best thing you read, or best thing you ate during 2022. I'll go first, and I'll do the watch to give you guys some time to think. Andor, the prequel oh, series to so good. Rogue One was unbelievable. Episode 10, Luthen's speech in episode 10, where one of his spies asks, what have you sacrificed? And he gives this poetic masterclass that shows the insight into like the unnamed heroes of the rebellion. And he punctuates it with, what have I given up? And he goes, everything. Skarsgård, I can't remember that dude's first name, but Skarsgård, the actor, just with, give him all the awards for that minute and a half stretch. It is perfect television. Andor was the best. Love it. I'll go. I've got a couple on my mind. I can't think of best thing I ate, which makes me sad. I ate a lot of plain grilled chicken this year. I look forward to not doing that next year. Uh, I would say my favorite thing I read, which is boring, so I'll go quick, was a book called Drive by Daniel Pink, which was a really interesting uh, mix of educational research and psychology about motivation and the difference between the extrinsic motivation of the past moving toward a more intrinsic model in corporate America. Woohoo! People enjoyed that <laughs> recommendation. Uh, favorite thing I watched, the movie that I will take with me from this year, uh, which I will put a parental warning on. We are a pretty family-friendly show here. But everything, everywhere, all at once. Suns fans, you may have known it from a, uh, a certain cage meme on Suns Twitter of Mikhail Bridges taking over that movie poster. That was my favorite movie of the year by far. Not like there was nothing close. I loved that movie. Um, I'm also glad that Avatar two is back. <laughs> Come at me haters. Favorite show was severance on Apple TV with Adam Scott from parks and rec. That show has been my go-to recommendation outside of Andor, which I also was spreading the good news about at in-law Christmas this year. <laughs> so both of those, very solid. Sorry about my nerdy book, but I am reading. Please be proud of me, guys. Ryan, what you got? Uh, I would. I'll, I'll try and hit all three. Um, I will say, best thing I ate was actually last night. We went and ate at a restaurant called Jico. Wow, Disney save Animal the best for last. Definitely not recency bias. Um, and they had an astounding fresh cut grouper meal that I had last night. They had fresh Kenyan coffee and a French press with dessert. It was, it was just a wonderful dining experience. Um, best thing I read was probably how the word is passed by Clint Smith. If you're not familiar, Clint Smith is a poet and author writes for the Atlantic as well. Um, it's a book 
discussing slavery in America and, and recontextualizing what that looks like as we understand history. And it's a, uh, an incredible read. Can't recommend it enough. Um, honorable mentions for watches, Avatar 2, Batman was great, Andor amazing. Uh, my Sleeper Wednesday was great if you're Adam's family on Netflix. But Matilda the Musical is my sleeper pick. Um, it came out on Netflix to not a whole lot of uh, cla- or I guess conversation. There was a TikTok meme about the dance. That's all I saw. Um, but it was as a fan of the movie when I was younger. It was just absolutely delightful. The choreography was amazing. The music was great. The cinematography was amazing. It, it's it's a weird pick, I know, but Matilda the Musical on Netflix. If you're just looking for a fun family watch, was was wonderful. I have a food answer. Thanksgiving. That was mine. Dude, that was one of the best mm. best top that to bottom meal. Baller. One of the best meals I've ever had. Here's here's the thing about food. Here's yes, what Matilda. I've been, yes, Scott, Matilda. Scott Lacey. Scott's like, mm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Well, the fourth member of Into the Valley, Scott Lacey, was trying to flame up Ryan <laughs> for his Matilda pick. No, but I was I was talking to Sarah about this yesterday, and I think like a really good meal is balanced. Like there's a balanced flavor profile across the board so it's not just like rich heavy like you need the acidity you need a little bitter within that it's like um, i'm listening I, to ratatouille when he mixes the strawberry and the cheese exactly but th- right but like that's the idea like add some freshness to the richness i watch it in your lose. in your meals which hopefully we're doing for mine and ethan's new year's eve celebration tonight but I thought Thanksgiving did that really well. And then last one that I wanted to bring up was the best book that I read was called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I got that for Christmas. Which it's written from a Christian perspective, but it basically challenges like the pace of life that we live at. And its argument in essence is like there are practices that you can go about that are healthier than like modern 21st century American pace and like grind culture and like we always have to be going and we always have to be efficient and productive and i think that's a really healthy goal for 2023 would be to slow down a little bit unplug a little bit and enjoy uh the real world more than being plugged in all the time i love it what a good year where do you go 2022 you didn't you didn't have a high bar after the years that led up to you but <laughs> been pretty solid so far um, want to also thank the listeners and, and watchers, those, those who are a pot, part of this podcast. This was our first full calendar year with the bright side and we are loving it. And we're excited for this new change Saturday mornings, 10 AM central 11 Eastern. And for those who are still here after an hour, if you're enjoying what we're doing and whether it's YouTube, whatever, Feel free to share it on Twitter with either hit us with a retweet or just tell a friend. I don't really care if it's on social media or not. Social media will die anyway, thanks to Elon Musk. So let other people know. We we love it, and uh, we obviously threw some jokes at someone who was in the uh, comments today. Uh, but thank you, for Scott, for joining us and being a part of it. We want other people to do the same thing. That was a big part of us making this move is so we can have other people be a part of the show Keep us on our toes. You never know when Matilda slander is needed. So it's it's good to have 
people joining us. Um, guys, anything else we need to add before we bring it to a close? Ryan, I'll go to you first, knowing exactly what Philip's going to say. I just hope you guys have a, a blessed new year and that big things are ahead. We've got uh, exciting things for us ahead, I think, um, and appreciate the, the last year that we've had together on the pod and looking forward to next year. And Philip, go son. For Philip and Ryan, I am Ethan Shutt. This is Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.